Welcome to another daily objective and many thanks for being with us. So I'm someone who I was, when I was growing up, actually I had the poster in my room with the two athletes who in 1968, they made the, power, the black power salute in the Mexican Olympic games. And I didn't know much about the story. And uh, today maybe I would have some question marks about exactly why they did it. But the overall idea was that they did something very brave. And the overall idea was that they did something that definitely took guts and something that showed a commitment and showed something which was, at least in my mind back then, very brave. Actually, I still think it is quite, I th still th think it's quite brave. Although I think there are some issues on how they framed it, but in any case, it was something that I found very, very powerful as a gesture. Fast forward almost half a century later, and we have this idea that modern protest in sports is a continuation of this thing. It's a continuation of this brave gesture for injustice. So again, some context is relevant. We are in 68, we're in the time of the Vietnam War. We're in the time where racial injustice was way more dominant than the United States. Violence about our, against the black community was way more dominant. So again, I think there is something to be said about the bravery of this act of these two athletes, or which also needs to be said, had a very significant personal cost to both of these uh, American sprinters. So why do I remember this story? Why did I remember Tommy Smith and John Carlos? Because the other day, a hammer thrower, Gwen Berry, made the headlines when she turned her back away from the US flag while the American anthem was playing. So she came third in the US trials which is great news for her because it means she qualified for the Olympic Games of Tokyo. But she was not happy with the fact that the American anthem was playing and she turned her back. And later she said that she considered this as a setup. So basically this means she considered this as a personal attack, that the reason that the American anthem was playing is because they knew she would be on the podium. And this is why two years ago, she also protested uh, the anthem in a different occasion. And she had talked against racial injustice. She had talked against President, then President Trump. And she said that this was something personal. Of course, the organizer said, there's no way we knew you would be on the podium. Therefore, you had the schedule and the American anthem was scheduled to play and it was nothing personal. Anyway, so there are many interesting issues that come from this topic. There are many interesting issues in terms of activism then and now. Why so many people feel the need to protest, not racial injustice itself, but the idea of the United States, the idea of the flag, the idea of national anthem. And to discuss these things today with me is Jonathan Honig. Jonathan. Thanks for, <laughs> and what are your first thoughts on the topic? By the way, something very interesting. We didn't talk before the episode, so I didn't know you would have prepared the share screen with the two athletes in 68. So that's a, that's a very interesting, uh, it looks like we communicate without having to, without having to talk. 
Well, I mean, Nico, you have such a, a great knowledge of American history. And I think you made the point that for those athletes too, and for Miss um, Gwen, I don't remember her last name, but this athlete, uh, in all these terms of protests, for them, it's a, you know, Iran always talks about morality as being kind of so important. And for them, they see it as a real moral act of justice. And you did too. You saw that, the, I don't know, is the black power, whatever things, you know, even just that image was a real uh, sense of, of justice for you to become just that, that simple image. Look, just take that aside for, for a moment and just look at it as what it was, a sporting event. And this young woman achieved a great achievement. She was on the podium and reminded me of something else that Ms. Rand uh, talked about with the Oscars years ago. I think in the 70s, there was a streaker in the Oscars. Remember this story? And, you know, Rand's, I think, and I'm paraphrasing comment was that basically he just, you know, he took this beautiful event and everyone was, you know, decked out and he just kind of shat on it. He made it kind of ugly. And that's what I kind of feel like, you know, I'm not against protest. I think Americanism is very, protest is very uh, uh, appropriate for Americanism. But when you're an athlete, you work so hard to get on that podium um, to kind of ugly it up by that. But I think we're in a culture where that's rewarded. That's altruism of saying, oh, I'm not gonna take the moment. I'm going to give the moment over to the, the tribe, the racial injustice. And you know, Nikos, you, were, you talked about um, the example from uh, the Black Power thing. There was another one that people might not remember. In 1973, Marlon Brando won the Oscar for The Godfather. I, 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 this is something I, and he did not accept it. Instead, he sent up a young woman who was a Native American, we can see that there, and she gave a speech about the plight of Native Americans and how they've been, so Marlon Brando, so this is, as you said, it's like fitter, fitting into this tradition of, I see this altruism. Marlon Brando won the Oscar. He should have gotten there and said, you know, it's been a pleasure to be in this movie, but he sacrificed himself. And I think this young lady did too. And she's been taught that altruism is good. She achieved a value, but she threw it away. Why for the tribe, for racial injustice? What do you think of that idea? Hmm, that's interesting. I, ne I never thought of it this way. I did think how odd that at that moment where you get this success, your, your reaction basically to be a reaction of a rejection and of saying that I feel alienated from this, let's say, environment that it, through which I came to this success. Now, the first and obvious question that many people ask is, how is it possible for you to go to the Olympic Games wearing the bearing the flag, let's say, of the United States, and then feeling embarrassed about the, the anthem. But I found something very interesting in her notion. So she said, quote... Oh, and what about just the idea, Nico, like hearing the anthem is so triggering to you. I mean, if she considers it a, quote, setup, I mean, honestly, it's like, you know, maybe if you saw images of the Holocaust or something, that would be kind of triggering and turn away. But hearing the anthem, it's not... It's not such a stressor, to be honest. You know, just... Well, here's how it can become a stressor, though. So what do modern universities teach, let's say, about literature and about the stories? What matters is not so much the meaning. What matters is we need to deconstruct what is the exact message word by word by word by word. So for me, what does the American anthem mean? And when I say for someone who... You know, you know some things about the country and you read the lyrics. 
it's heroic. It's uh, it's something that tells that speaks about battles, that speak about overcoming, that speaks about reaching a potential. But she says that this does not this is not what it means for my people. And she mentioned a particular lyric which mentions the word slave. And then what if this actually was mentioning about slave? Therefore, the anthem is not about me. So this is basically deconstruction. This is... DTV says she thinks the anthem is a pro-slavery song. Her protest is based on pure ignorance. Yeah, so she believes that it's pro-slavery. And again, notice though what's the interesting thing here. There is no way to prove to her that it's not about slavery. Why? Because notice the term... She, she uses, she says, I feel, so she says, I feel this is a setup. So obviously you can tell her, look, it's not a setup. Here's the schedule from before the game starts. And you can see that the national anthem is scheduled for that time. So how could we know that you would be on the podium? So how could it be a setup? But it doesn't matter because says, I feel it was a setup. Now, in the same way, what are we teaching people in the university? We're teaching them that knowledge is positional, which means something that you, rich, white, heterosexual, Jonathan, cannot see, someone else can see it. Why? Because due to their position in their intersectional axis of power, they have almost a privileged approach to truth. Therefore, although the national anthem objectively is not a pro-racism creed, for a person of color, it could be a pro-racism creed. Different fields where we see this, for example, you can say, look, according to our objective standards, there is no rape culture. And what will, let's say, a female colleague in the university going to tell me? You, ca- you cannot say that. You don't understand. But say, but look at the statistics. Look, say, no, 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 no. My lived experience tells me that there could be a rape culture. So you see that in this environment, it's impossible to communicate, even for something as simple as does the fact that the national anthem plays a, a setup created to put you in a different spot, or it's triggering because it's pro-slavery. Although these are obviously to be dismissed, obviously to be dismissed, we have brought forward a generation that they don't understand the world in these terms. They only understand the world in terms of, I feel that it is. And it, it ran, I think, would not to, my sense is she would identify that as primacy of, of a consciousness. It's all about her feelings and she sees it as, and she feels like it is. And Nikos, to your point, she's been taught like it is. You know, the, like, I, I'm so glad that frankly, I don't have children in school. I don't have children, but I don't have children in schools now because, you know, they are taught things, you know, Thanksgiving is things taking. The white man came and fucked the Indians. I mean, it just, it's all about, it's an America hating, a platform. And I have to say, even for, you know, anyone who wants to be a good influence on their tribe, Nikos, I want to talk a bit about, I want you to mention your book because it's just out now. And I think a lot of that racial injustice momentum, or it's, it's, a, there's a, I identify it as a tribalness. Um, but, you know, my mind, if I wanted to be a good influence on anyone, I would be, um, I would stand up proudly. And uh, I don't know, I, I wouldn't necessarily have to denigrate the event. I would be a, a positive example of what the event was about. Um, There's a term. Go ahead, I'm sorry. So you mentioned, again, it's, 
I have tribalism here on my notes, and we didn't talk before before this episode. Everyone should go get, get the book. This is Nikos's new book. I'm only about a third of the way through it, but it's really interesting. And it's right on the money of this and so many other stories. It's tribalism now. You mentioned it with intersectionality, right? I mean, that's what's, that's what's, and it just, I mean, I don't, I'll just say one more thing. I don't know any athletes now. I mean, the last athletes I knew were like Walter Payton, Mike Singletary, you know, the 87 Bears, 86 Bears. But I know who Colin Kanapardick. Kaepernick. Because he's the moral athlete. He's the, he's about social justice and he got the book deals. So it's too bad. It's too bad. It's very. And here's, here's because someone could say, oh, you took this uh, tribalism thing out of your head. Here's what, uh, here's what the athlete said. So later she was asked to give, uh, to explain her position. And also after that, she came out with a t-shirt that says activist athlete. So the media asked her, what did you mean? So she said, quote, uh, so she said, mostly for me, it's not so much the sports event. I'm doing this because I want to something more than sports and says, I'm here to represent those who died due to systemic racism. And then she says, I want to go to the Olympics mostly to represent my community. Now, here's something very interesting. Represent my community. She doesn't mean represent my family, my friends. She basically means represent the black community. Now, I remember last year having a very fierce disagreement with someone who told me that for him, the most important thing is his people. And by his people, he meant white people. It was the time when I was doing, doing the research on the tribalist book. And uh, I had, let's say, a contact who helped me navigate the, the world of, uh, of the nationalistic right. And he had some sympathy to that milieu. And we had this discussion. I told him, why is your people the white British people? Like, if for so many of these people, you have a bad view, for example, why is it your people? And he said, well, uh, it's, I cannot explain it to you. He said, they are my people. I feel them as my people. And this is an obvious, and notice that when we talk about a white nationalist, who talks about white British as his people, we sense that something is weird here. We sense that something is off. We sense that, okay, dude, you're going towards a path that is gonna lead you to some dark places. At the same time though, when someone says that, yeah, the black community is, uh, is my people and I'm there to represent them, somehow it's very empowering. And not only empowering, it's celebrated by the whole of, of the, by the biggest part of the entertainment and the media community and all that stuff. So this is the environment of tribalism. The environment of tribalism that tells you that your community is the people with whom you share this heritage, let's say, of color or ethnic allegiance. Now, if you see this and you think this is going to end well, or if you think that soon someone is, go is not going to say, oh, black people, you're a, bla a person of color. Other people of color is your community. Oh, I'm white. Who is my community? Oh, white people are my community. Therefore, now I represent white people. Now, this is, I, of course, we believe in free will and all that stuff. But this is almost predictable that it's going to go that way. This, this, cultural, this cultural push towards this ethnic tribalism is so strong that it's, I would put money that the next thing you're going to see is, is this. People saying, oh, we are, our community is our color. Oh, now I found my community. Other white people come with me. 
Well, I have to say, I mean, for, I, I've read and listened to a lot of Ms. Rand in terms of um, abortion being a litmus test for, uh, that's my terminology. And what you're describing, uh, Nikos, that obsession with racial tribalism is so disgusting to me. And Rand talked about it as a, I believe a barnyard mentality, exactly what you said. Let's herd over the white people over here. Let's herd over the black. It's just, it's so disgusting. This is something that no one has any control over. It doesn't say anything about who they are, their actions, their morality, their achievement, anything. So it's almost like we're heading backwards. And, you know, this young lady who I, you know, I, I appreciate her achievements, but on some, Nikos, as you said, I mean, if she wants to protest, well, let me ask you this, let me ask you this. If she, is your problem that she pro, is protesting America or is your problem that she's protesting it in that environment? I mean, what if she got the, got the medal and then went over to like, I don't know, the NAACP or something like that and gave a speech there? No, my, my problem is mostly that it's not clear to me what the process is, what the protest is about. So I hear, for example, that when the footballers kneel, it's for social justice. What does exactly this mean? Because here the thing, if you really, really, really worry about how black people are victimized. So for example, let's make a list of how we can fix it. Number one, decriminalize drug use. Number two, take the state away from, the, from as many parts of people's life as possible. Leave people free to trade to trade substances, to be able to open businesses and sell whatever they want, all that stuff. Number two, stop seeing people as members of groups. Start seeing people as individuals. That's so, it. So it, you know, you said that individually, that's what makes objectivism not right wing, left wing. We are outside that spectrum. And you're right. The only anecdote, I don't mean to cut, but it's so passionate to me. The only anecdote to this disgusting racism is individualism. That's what Rand talks about throughout her work. And my problem is that the, the BLM movement and the people around this universe, so to speak, I see pushing, I see them pushing more collectivism. I see them pushing more tribalism, more state intervention in their lives, not, in, not realizing that it's mostly the state that has created this horrible situation for many people. Indeed, it sucks having your life ruined because you come across a police officer who might indeed have some racial prejudice when you're 18. And because you have some weed on you, you, you start getting in the, in, the, in the criminal justice system and then good luck, uh, good luck after that. So that's what I would like to see people, uh, people protest about. And, but again, notice if, if someone of who supports BLM would watch it, they would say, oh, it's easy for you to say because uh, you are white and you're privileged. And my question is, okay, can you tell me where I'm wrong? But we cannot even speak this language. Again, notice, I found it very interesting. She, she doesn't say, I think, she says, I feel. And I hear this more and more and more and more. And I see it also in the essays of my students. I feel has now substituted, I think. And the problem is there is no answer to I feel. If you feel, for example, that the solution is, uh, I don't know, socialism, and that's going to solve the problems, there is no way for me to make you, quote, unfeel that. So not only we have the wrong solutions to a big problem, we don't even approach the problem from the, from the proper frame. We don't even approach it from the proper context. 
So that's why I'm against to this protest. And I'm not against to this protest in the way that Fox News would say, oh, this is flag has given you so much. Yeah, okay, maybe, but I, I, that's too superficial. That's not, for me, that's not, that's not, the, that's not the essence there. You know, Rand, a very classic quote of Ms. Rand's is, emotions are not tools of cognition. And I hear you saying that, Nikos, over and over again, is that it's leading with your emotions. And, um, and, and I see it once again as morality. I mean, she would say, I'm doing the right thing. I think sacrificing myself, my opportunity for the tribe. So um, there's been some inquiry on the Super Chat about your book. It is available on Amazon. Came to me in like two uh, days. Only for the States, for some reason. In, in Europe, it's unleashed. Uh, unleashed. What's it? Yeah, well, I mean, Europe is the third world. Oh, wait a minute. I'm sorry. We're at the Zamarin Center UK. Um, well, so in Europe, it's released on the 6th of July. And also, it's going to be available on Kill. We're going to have a big the Daily Objective episode where we will try to have something with the publisher discount codes or something. So you'll hear more about that. But there's a whole chapter in the book called, uh, uh, it's, it's on racial thinking. And we talk about progressive racism and then about the traditional, let's say, racism and new forms like the alt-right, white nationalism and all that stuff. And what you'll see is that the one is basically coping the thought of the other. So what do the critical race theory people tell us? We need to talk about whiteness. And also only black people can talk about the problem of black people. What does the white nationalist says? Yes, we need to talk about whiteness, but only white people can talk about white people. Therefore leave the whiteness for us. And by the way, since you celebrate your culture, now we also want to celebrate our culture. And by the way, let's keep our cultures uh, separate. This is something, by the way, where they agree, the one side and the other side. You know, I, I want to appreciate our super chats, but I first need to fucking vomit because all this racist talk is just disgusting. It's so offensive to me to classify people, what's it? To classify people based on their race and read Rand's essay on racism. It's available online. It is a must read for anyone who thinks like this at all. The antidote, it was said individualism. And what you're describing, Nikos, this obsession with race um, as a, being a member. In fact, I want to acknowledge our very generous super chatters, Mary Aline, the so-called godmother of the Daily Objective. Sammy is bored again. Well, she's not bored watching our show because she gave us some pounds. Thank you, Sammy. Um, Hugh James mentions that Ayn Rand was trending on UK Twitter. You know, she's still radical. This is- No, well, the reason she was training is because uh, Savid David, this uh, Tory minister, supposedly, supposedly is a fan of Ayn Rand. And everyone in the left said, oh, now this guy's in charge of the NHS. He's going to sell out the NHS. And I wrote on Twitter that David is so close, actually so far away from Rand as Peter Keating is far away from Howard Rourke or uh, Wesley Mautz is far away from uh, John Gold. And there was, I think there was a Labour MP, I'm not sure if it was Labour, who said, David is supporting the woman who wrote The Virtue of Selfishness. And I wonder, has this person even read one page from The Virtue of Selfishness? And if yes, what exactly is her disagreement? But I was like, okay, there's no point in entering. It's awesome that you stepped in, but I also feel like on some level there's, there's no such bad thing as bad publicity. So it's awesome that she's trending. And she's trending because she is radical. I mean... People, these kids think that Shay is so radical or Jesse Owens is so radical. Rand is so radical. Mary Lean, very generous chat. She says, 
Gwen has no right had to represent any group. Who appointed her? Many blacks don't want her as their representative, but right, the, tr the tribal racism ego, as, as you alluded to, is all this like fight for tribal racist power. Thank you, Christopher. Thank you, Mary Lean, once again. She says, very hard to deal with those who aren't intellectually honest. I'm two chapters in a Nikos's book, enjoying it. Why can Jonathan swear if I can't? Host prerogative, Mary Lean. <laughs> well, you know what? You keep up with those super chats. You can say whatever the, whatever the you want. Okay. <laughs> and again, also from me, a huge thank you to the super chatters. Uh, you're in my heart and uh, it's very important uh, the moral sanction in a way that you give us to to continue. Okay, so have we got any parting words, or shall we move it to shall we move it to Clubhouse? Let's see if we have any words from the boss. Something that he might want us to. Yes, something from the boss. So, in 35 minutes, Don Watkins and James Valiant are gonna discuss Rand's essay racism. Oh, perfectly. Yeah. <laughs> Perfectly. So good. The, the essay is so brilliant, and Don's analysis of it is so brilliant. So please tune into that. Absolutely. And let me pitch something else as well. Uh, I'm particularly excited about today's episode of Flirting with Reason with Maria. We're going to talk about, so I don't know if you listen, Victoria's Secret, the lingerie company, decided to drop their angels. And now they were, were with these impressive, let's say, models. And now they have a different team, which is called the collective. And mostly they're going to have, let's say, everyday people who have uh, made the contribution through, as you can understand, mostly activism and having the proper views. And for me, it's very interesting how there's this constant undermining of the idea of beauty. And the idea of beauty now is seen as something oppressive, as something which puts too much a burden on you. And how, so the theme of the show is going to be how the attack on beauty and the idea of egalitarianism are in a way part of the same theme. So trying to undermine the mere idea of beauty. I'm not saying you could tell me, look, the skinny models is not beauty. I would say, okay, that's, that I'm open for discussion. But the idea that the idea of beauty itself is something which is oppressive. For me, this is egalitarianism at its purest which says that there's no distinction between this and this. Everything is the same. Don't judge and don't, attempt, don't try to be anything, basically. So this is the theme of Flirting with Reason. Uh, nine o'clock, what time is it? So two and a half hours from now in the Iron Center UK channel, me and Maria. Again, I'm particularly excited for today's show. I think it's going to be things going to be good. Okay, shall we move it to Clubhouse? Let's do it. Thank you, everyone, and see you soon. Bye-bye.